Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody, welcome to the session. I'm your host, as always, Justin Crosley, and happy to be back in the studio today. We have a really cool show for you today that I'm excited about. Um, I like to not always have to talk about beer, to be honest with you. You know, I've been doing this for a really long time, so it's cool for me to get some other topics in here. But this is relevant uh, to the beer world, certainly if you're a brewery owner or a taproom owner. Uh, we're going to be talking about accessibility in the taproom today and how we can improve that for individuals um, who have special needs. And we're also going to be talking about something um, I don't know, pretty near and dear to my heart, although I didn't even know it was near and dear to my heart until I was uh, introduced to this topic. And that is um, canines who help uh, individuals uh, who have diabetes, like both of my dads did. Um, and so tonight we're going to be talking to early alert canines. Um, uh, Carol Edwards, who's the executive director, is here with us today. Welcome, Carol. Thank you. I'm, Excited to be here. I'm really happy to have you. Uh, and Early Alert Canines is based out of Concord, right here where we are at the Hop Grenade. Uh, so that's exciting for me. Um, and then we're also talking to Susie Share, uh, who's with Share Spaces, as well as with Early Alert Canines. Welcome, Susie. Great. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to have you, too. Um, uh, this show, as, as every show, is brought to you by the good folks at More Beer. Go to morebeer.com and check them out. Um, they, they've been helping me since 2005, and they can help you, too. Go to morebeer.com and check out their YouTube page, because you can find out all the latest and greatest and all of their giveaways over there and so much more. Go to morebeer.com. Check it out and thank them for supporting uh, the Brewing Network after all these years. 
All right. With that, we can we can dive right into this. So, I was introduced to Victoria, who works uh, with Early uh, Alert Canines, through uh, a host of one of my shows. Brian Shar is his name, and he does uh, Doctor Homebrew with us. And he just thought this would be a good topic, and I was so excited that he uh, brought you to my attention. Um, and uh, he introduced me to Victoria, saying that Victoria trains dogs. Her organization trains dogs that um, can sense and alert. Uh, people if their uh, sugar is going out of whack. Do I have that about right? Is that a good basic explanation? Yes, they can actually smell the changes that are going on in the body and they can alert you before you become symptomatic. So before you're even aware that there's changes taking place, right. the dog is pawing you and say, hey, pay attention. Pay the, attention. This is incredible. And so... I knew that this was possible, and I want to dive right into and, and, and end up finding out how this is possible. I knew this was possible because my stepdad, who, who I grew up with, who raised me, uh, he was a diabetic uh, most of his life. And, um, you know, he wasn't an insulin diabetic, believe it or not, uh, but he still later in life started to have a lot of trouble managing it. And often in the middle of the night is when his sugar would take a dive. And he had a Labrador that was not trained, well, to do anything, to be honest with you. (laughs) Maybe a few things, but certainly wasn't trained like this. But that dog would wake up my mom every single night that that happened. They just, it just became a thing they, that they knew this dog had just figured it out. And I just thought that was fascinating. I later inherited the dog when, when my uh, dad passed, and he was a really cool animal, but was never even trained to do such a thing. So I kind of knew that this existed, but I wasn't sure about an organization like yours who really trains, them, trains dogs to do this full time. Yeah, when we started, um, there were a lot of stories like your father's, um, you know, examples of the dogs waking the, the human up in the middle of the night. Okay. Nobody was quite sure why. They just figured out that it worked and they would go with it. Um, we've now since learned that it's the smell that the body is em- emitting. Okay. And the dog's superior sense of smell takes that smell, associates it with your dad not feeling well. Yeah. And knows he has to do something. So that's why the dog did it. Incredible. So you're now able, you, so, okay, everybody in the world, I think, knows about seeing eye dogs, right, helping the blind, right? But there's now all these other things that we're learning that dogs can do, right? I guess to get to the bottom of it, someone finally had to figure out how to hone in on that sense, that particular change of smell. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, way back, many years ago, I was a puppy raiser for Guide Dogs for the Blind. Okay. And the first puppy I was raising went on a weekend trip with somebody else in the group to go to New York and see the sights and things like that. That dog ended up saving his life that night. Wow. Woke him up, very yeah. similar, yeah. right when he was having a very bad blood sugar episode. Yeah. And he came back and said, your dog saved my life. Amazing. I don't have any diabetics in my family. We couldn't figure out why the dog did what it did. But it got us talking about, well, if this dog could do it, why can't we train a dog to do it? And we kind of went down that rabbit hole. He went into the medical research. I went into the dog training end. I worked with anybody that search and rescue, hearing dogs, anybody that had anything to do with dogs and talked everybody's ear up and wanted to find out how we could do this. Okay. Everybody said, if you can nail the scent, you can teach the dog how to do it. Got so it. So we went into a year of training and training a specific dog for him thinking this dog would only work on the one person because that's what we learned about smell yeah um and we trained the dog and as he began to travel for work this dog would alert on people in airports and trade shows oh wow and we went 
okay, we need to track this and see if the dog's really doing it. And he was. And I said, we've stumbled onto something. I said, we need to train a second dog and see if we can put it with an unknown person Yeah. and see how good they were. And it worked. No kidding. And we looked at each other and went, okay, now what do we do? Yeah. We start a nonprofit and we start training dogs. And that was about 20 years ago. Okay. So you've been doing this for a while. Yes. I wanted to cover that. So that's how you got into it. Mm-hmm. So in the beer world, and we've talked on this show uh, extensively about compounds in, in beer that, uh, that influence our smell, their smell, compounds and hops. Hops are, are very complex with terpenes and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. It would seem to me that all humans smell different. Were you able to sort of isolate chemical compounds or scent compounds that the dog was picking up? Dogs break everything down to a molecular level. Okay. So you and I smell a bowl of clam chowder. Yeah. And we think, ooh, that's going to taste good. Mm -hmm. The dog smells it. He smells the clam, the cream, the butter, the salt, the pepper, every spice that's in her as an individual smell. Wow. And they combine those and say that's clam chowder so when the uh, body is registering a low or a high blood sugar Mm -hmm. it dumps chemicals into the bloodstream that circulate throughout the lungs come out on your breath first then come out through your pores Ah. and the dog's sense of smell they can put that string together and go there it is this is what i alert on right it's interesting to me the first dog that you noticed did this just like all the other dogs you've since trained knew that that scent was a danger, though. Like, it just somehow associated danger. What we figured in the beginning was, like with your father, when usually if the blood sugar is dropping low or going high, there's definitely consequences with that. Yeah. That makes the person feel ill. Yeah, yeah. The dog realizes you're feeling ill. Okay. Labs particular do not want you to feel ill. They want to take care of you. So yeah. They get it. They recognize that afterwards, after that smell arrives, you begin to be sick. I'm going to tell you when that smell arrives. Okay. Got it. You know, the uh, unfortunate for me consequence of the show is I'm going to end up a dog owner again. <laughs> and I thought I was done with that. But I'm, this is already just so like heartwarming and fascinating to me. <laughs> Everybody should have one. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, is it only Labradors that you work with? We end up getting our dogs either from Guide Dogs for the Blind and now from Canine Companions. Okay. And because they're large schools, that is what they breed. The Labradors, the Goldens, and then what they call crosses, the mix between the two. Okay. So we get their career change dogs. So dogs that aren't aren't appropriate for their program come to us. I see. We repurpose them. We teach them the scent work and off they go into the world. Okay. You're going to hate me for this because I'm going to use like terrible terminology, but like I'm aware of the 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 dogs for the blind, some of them being rejected at some point. Mm-hmm. And so is that what you mean by, by repurpose? Like they just didn't quite have the skills for that, but can still do another service? Yes. Okay. They call it career change or a change of career. Okay. It's a little politer than flunky. And or rejected. <laughs> and <laughs> rejected. <laughs> and some of those other stronger ones. Yeah, yeah. Well, so my roommates have um, two uh, uh, Labradors, 
Are they Golden Labs? They look like Sheldon, actually. We have one in the in the studio, by the way, folks at home. I will post pictures of Sheldon, who's here with Susie today, being trained, right? Yes. So they adopted both of their dogs, or, or purchased, I think adopted, uh, from a, a, a blind school. Mm-hmm. And, and the dogs just didn't, didn't quite make it. They were just a little too rambunctious, I think. Mm-hmm. They're so incredibly well-behaved and so incredibly intelligent. They just didn't have, I guess, enough focus for what they were being trained for. Right. Um, the standards, particularly for seeing eye dogs, are very, very high. I bet. They have to make judgment calls all the time on if it's safe or not. Okay. That's a lot of decision making. And not every dog can do it. Mm. Um, and by partnering with us or giving us the career change dogs, we can then keep that dog in a working mode, which is what they've been bred and trained to do. Okay. So it's a win-win for both of us. It's, they get a dog that goes on and has a career helping so- somebody with a disability. Sure. Um, as opposed, there's nothing wrong with being adopted out as a pet, but when you're breeding yeah. working dogs, that's what you want them to do. Okay. I And I like your, your terminology when you, when you talk about decision-making. I think we can maybe help dispel some myths, too. So as a dog lover my whole life... Uh, I've always felt that my dogs could make decisions, but sometimes when you read about, you know, scientists say, oh, dogs don't think, they don't make decisions, and they don't do this or that, but that sounds preposterous, right? I don't think I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> they, they are thinking. Yeah. They think. They make decisions. They're emotional creatures. They're living. They're breathing. They feel things. They understand emotions. They read our emotions all the time. Okay. Yeah. So how many dogs would you say, in, out of your organization, have you put into service for diabetic uh, help, assistance? We're probably right about 80 wow. right okay. now. Um, this is the second nonprofit that I've started doing this, and I did 75 and the one before. Wow. Okay. So I'm up around 150 dogs that we've placed with people. That's so amazing. And you started as a, a trainer as well, like mm-hmm. to, to actually train these dogs. Are you, are you still a trainer? Uh, not so much anymore. I actually have some staff. For a long time, there's only two of us doing it, so I did everything. We did everything from fundraising to the training to the placement support. Okay. One of the things we do is once a dog is placed with a diabetic, we are there throughout the lifetime of the placement. Ah. So anytime they have a problem with behavior or alerting or suddenly barking at doorbells, we're there to talk them through that and get the dog behaving correctly again. And that must happen. I mean, the the dogs are, they're, they're living, mm-hmm. living creatures, right? Okay. Right. And they're very opportunistic, especially labs. Oh, yeah. So if they think, if they got into the trash can once, they're going to keep going back every single day to see if maybe they could score again. Sure. Okay, so this I can totally relate to. I will admit that I'm a horrible dog trainer, but I've had the luxury of having very intelligent dogs. Maybe mm-hmm. I should say the luxury and the challenge of having very intelligent dogs. So with minimal effort, um, I've been able to have some pretty well-behaved dogs, mm-hmm. but I couldn't possibly train them to do anything beyond like fetch and not to beg at the table. It's just not a skill set that I Mm -hmm. have. So this is some very like rigorous training that you have to stay up on every day, right? Scent training a dog is different than typical command obedience training. Okay. Because the dog has to think through the dog. Most service dogs, it's Fido sit, Fido forward, Fido whatever. They're Mm -hmm. given a command, they follow the command. Sure. Now our dogs, when that scent appears, that has to be the command. So they have to make that jump on their own with no no human intervention they have to go there it is i need to do something so they have to have the initiative okay and they have to make the first move to let you know that the the smell is there so then 
with that, do we care how obedient they are? I mean, other than obviously we don't want them, you know, uh, to, to ruin their, their, their owner's life, their, their partner's life with, with their disobedience, but we don't care so much that they sit and stay? Or We do, because a lot of our dogs have public access. They go out with their disabled partner all Got the it. time. So they're out in the human world. They have to behave in the human world. We can't have them hopping up to your bar and ordering a beer. Yeah. It wouldn't go over well. Well, and we're going to talk about that later when we get to some of the accessibility because there are challenges for us uh, bar owners and restaurant owners, mm-hmm. too. And as you, I'm sure, are going to know, most of them come from people abusing the exception. And we see that here at the, at the Hop Grenade all the time. And we'll, we'll dive into that a bit yeah, later, too. Yeah, it's one of our biggest challenges. Yeah, I bet. And I bet uh, frustration for you mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> Absolutely. As, as it is for us. And we'll talk about that. Uh, okay. And so Susie is here uh, uh, also with Sheldon. And Susie, you're a volunteer for, um, for Early Alert, uh, but you're also um, a trainer, right? No, I'm not a trainer. Ah, I'm okay. a volunteer puppy raiser. Raiser, okay. Yes. So my role is to have Sheldon with me 24 ah. 7 and get him out into the world and help him learn how to be a socially appropriate member of society. Okay. Um, I do teach him basic commands um, to, to sort of pair with that um, social access. Sure. Um, and then really just to help him grow and, and help keep an eye on how he's developing so that when he's at the right age, that Carol and her staff determine that he's ready for his scent training, he'll be um, well adjusted and well behaved for that. Okay. And where does Sheldon come from? Is, is there a lineage that we prefer or? Did he come from IBC or Canine Companions? Um, I thought he was ADI. Okay. That would be the IBC, IBC the International okay. International Breeding Cooperative. Um, we are a part of an accreditation organization called Assistance Dogs International. Okay. They set standards for service dog schools. They also have a breeding cooperative that's available through us. So instead of having to put thousands and thousands of dollars into a breeding program, hmm. we can join that for a minimal cost. Some of the bigger schools partner with the smaller schools to help their dogs get puppy raised and go on to breeding. Okay. And we end up with breeders from that. Got it. So you want them to come from a certain lineage? A certain, yes. We're, this is this going to sound silly, but we're not going on Craigslist and looking for Labradors here. No, yeah, no. Yeah. One of the key components is this first year of life. They need to be socialized properly okay. so that they can handle the human world. Most dogs, if they're not socialized correctly, can't handle that human world on an ongoing basis. And you never really can go back after a certain period of time? Once yeah. that year is up, that window is closed. Got it. And is that about, that was kind of my next question for you too, Susie. Is it about a year that you'll foster a dog? About a year and a half okay. is, is the point at which he'll be evaluated to see if he's ready for that scent training. Got it. So it's not like a number. It's a, how is he behaving? How it's a maturity he, level. Yeah. Okay. Is he ready? Got it. Do you have like a, uh, I'm going to use a terrible term. Uh, is there a rate of unsuccessful dogs and successful dogs? Does that make sense you? Yes. Okay. Generally, um, some of the bigger schools that do these kind of large breedings, mm-hmm. they'll have anywhere between 30 and 50% of their puppies will drop out we'll drop for out. One, one reason or another. Now, we are very selective in the dogs we take into our program. I know what to look for. I know what I need to be successful. Yeah. But even still, occasionally, we'll have one sure. that'll drop out. We just had a Papillon that we tried, a smaller dog. Okay. Um, and while he could do the work, he wanted to alarm bark a little bit more than was appropriate in public. 
So uh, I see. He is now living his best life. <laughs> <laughs> right. Honestly, those numbers are so much lower than I expected you to say. I, I thought you were going to say something like 80% of animals can't do, you know, do this. No. What yeah. I found is every single dog has the ability to smell yeah, and yeah. can identify this. It's their ability to work they're to like want willingness to do like you said do, earlier right yeah. their mm-hmm. willingness to assist a human in doing it got it um i've done a couple of poodles that were so aloof that they just went yeah i showed you where it was i'm not showing you again yeah <laughs> that's every dog i've ever owned that's what i'm saying yeah, <laughs> yeah. i we so uh, my partner recently uh adopted an, an elderly dog and she's been working so hard to to train him and during the training process i learned um you know when you, you try a command and the dog just doesn't listen to you until the fifth time? Mm-hmm. And I always just thought that it was like, oh, they just didn't really hear me until the fifth time. I've learned with this dog we adopted because he's incredibly smart. Oh, he hears you the first time and understands you the first time every time. It's whether or not he's going to uh, well, participate. He now, right. He now knows how to count to five. That's what you've taught him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> right, right, right. He goes, okay, I, I'm good until the no really comes out. I can do anything I want until you get there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It just it kind of boggled my mind because I was like, man, these dogs have been manipulating me my whole life. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like, I'm the so idiot true. here. <laughs> well, you're the human. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the training is way more about the humans than the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, Susie, tell me a bit about your background and how you got into doing this then. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I've always been a dog lover, grew up with dogs, um, and just seemed to notice service dogs out in the community and thought that was really cool. I'm the kind of person who just, you know, has to go ask questions. Um, and later in or earlier in my adult years was thinking, oh, I'd really love to do that, you know, when, when the time is right. Um, and I ended up deciding to go to graduate school to become an occupational therapist. Okay. And somehow stumbled upon a guide dogs for the blind club out in Colorado. I was going to Colorado State in Fort Collins. I was we had a hop grenade in Fort Collins for awesome. a, for, a, for a time. Good I'm not place. surprised. Yeah. Definitely a it's lot a of breweries town. there yeah. for yeah. sure. Um, and it just felt like a great time to do it, you know, single, no kids. Um, the the type of schooling I was doing was very supportive, you know, being that I was going to go off and work with people with disabilities and uh, medical related challenges. So double checked with the the faculty and staff in my OT department and um, off I went. So okay. ended up being a puppy raiser there and he was like a part of my class and it was a wonderful experience. Nice. So, so um, how many puppies do you think you've you've fostered and raised over the years? Well, uh, oddly enough, Sheldon's actually only my second. Oh, right. So I, okay. I had my first, and then I had a long break in there where life got real busy. Okay. Um, married, kids, career, all the stuff, um, and kind of found myself again going, you know, I'd really love to do that when the time is right, and ended up meeting Victoria about nine months ago. Okay. We hit it off with a lot in common with the work we both do, and... Um, I told her how I had been a puppy raiser and boy, did her eyes go wide. And she said, oh, really? We're looking for puppy (laughs) raisers for our first class of um, baby puppies that are going to be coming this summer. And I went, oh, really? Okay, yeah. so it went from there. Well, so now I can't ask my next question because I was wondering how hard it is to let them go after the year or so. (laughs) But it's been a long time since you've had to do that. Well, I actually didn't have to do it for my other one because Ah. he was career changed. Oh, okay. And I ended up adopting him and then having him certified as a therapy dog. Nice. And he then came to work with me. I worked in the public schools. So he worked with me and my students with their disabilities and um, 
really changed some some of their trajectories because oh, of the great. connection that they made with him. That's really great. Yeah, even though none of my animals were were particularly trained, uh, we would. Uh, Whenever my dad was in the hospital, we bring the dog to visit, and boy, did everyone just light up! Like they just have that effect on people, right? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Well, you'll have to report back after you have how hard it'll be to let, let Sheldon <laughs> go. Uh, I'll, I'll come here and in yeah. tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we have beer, so exactly. I, if there's one thing we can help with. Drown my sorrows. <laughs> yeah, it's a, whether you're celebrating or drowning your sorrows, we're good for that. Okay. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. we always say that a piece of your heart goes with each one. Of course, right? Um, you know from the beginning that you're going to be giving the dog up but that doesn't mean that your heart doesn't break and that there aren't tears involved sure but you know that it's for a different purpose right right um, and so you're proud at the same time of mm-hmm. course yeah yep. yeah and on the flip side i was devastated when my dog was career changed i really felt like i had failed i oh. had gone into it wanting him to go on and be partnered with someone so yeah um you know you really do go in with that as the assumption um, yeah i guess i didn't think about success. that yeah well, you must have gotten over that by now. Uh, hopefully some intelligent <laughs> people have told you it's not your fault, right? It yes. just happens sometimes, yeah. He uh, was very well suited for the work that we did together. Right. worked out. <laughs> Amazing. Um, well, let's do this. I'm just going to take a, a real quick break um, so we can uh, pay our sponsors back. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about Sheldon and what he's preparing to do. And then also about how you can make your uh, brewery or tap room or restaurant a little more friendly and accessible to folks. So hang in there. You're listening to the session and we'll be right back. The leader in affordable, high-quality kegerators is here. Introducing Comos, the kegerator designed with serious beer drinkers in mind. It features an all-stainless steel draft tower, a major upgrade over traditional chrome-plated brass towers, and Comos keeps your new tower cold with their air-cooled tower fan, wrapping your beer lines in frigid coolness. Your beer is poured from innovative forward-sealing faucets that don't leak, so they stay cleaner for longer. Dual gas inlets on the rear of the fridge allow you to run both CO2 and nitrogen gas. Serve your beer with CO2, serve your kegged wine, or even cocktails with nitrogen. The digital temperature display has the largest range available, allowing you to use the Comos Kegerator for fermentation if you need to. And now Comos Kegerators ship with duo-tight draft fittings for that click-to-connect assembly we've all dreamed of. Buy direct from ComosDraft.com and receive free shipping on your order. That's K-O-M-O-S Draft.com. Welcome back to the program. You're still listening to the session, and we are hanging out with Carol and Susie from Early Alert Canines. You can go to earlyalertcanines.org and learn more about everything we're talking about. You can also figure out how you can help while you're there by donating, for example. There's links. Or even signing up, like I'm afraid you're going to talk me into, because I'm already so interested, uh, to be a puppy raiser yourself or a foster, um, or even just volunteer as a community ambassador. So we're going to talk about all of that, but you can go to earlyalertcanines.org right now and start learning about it yourself. So I did want to mention, you already have a little bit of a tie in the beer world. Um, one of our favorite breweries, Hen House, uh, produced a beer with you guys. I believe it was called um, Scent to the Rescue, S-C-E-N-T, right? Yep. Brilliant. I love this. How did that come about? Um, we actually started talking to them. We got an introduction to them. Victoria did. Okay. And started conversations with them, and they wanted to support us in, in somehow. So they've done 
um, the sent to the rescue. They brewed. They actually ran a whole contest. We had our people vote on what they wanted it to taste like and what they wanted to call it. Nice. Um, and they did a, a short run of, of that particular beer. They also donate beer to our functions. Oh, that's our great. Our fundraising galas and, and comedy events. Okay. So they've been a great partner. Um, they've actually done a fundraising event there in their tap room. Okay. Excellent. Yep. So breweries out there listening, especially if you're local to Concord here, the greater Bay Area, I'm sure that there's room for more of this. Uh, if you want to help out the organization, again, earlyalertk9s.org. I'd love to see more collaboration beers. So we talk about collab beers here all the time on the show. There's always some sort of collaboration. And honestly, most of them are for nothing. Most of them are for brewers to hang out together. So it's <laughs> cool to have a collaboration like this. <laughs> Our dogs love to go hang out in tap rooms. Just saying. Yeah. A little too familiar, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I also wanted to mention, okay, so your uh, organization is mostly focused on um, sensing sugar levels in diabetics, right? Correct. But you do, you have dogs that do other things as well. Correct. Um, up until um, the pandemic, mm-hmm. we were strictly diabetic alert dogs. Okay. I was approached during the pandemic to uh, see if we could train a dog to detect COVID-19. Great question. Um, yeah. Yep. And we have been very successful in doing that. No kidding. They are actually better than the rapid tests themselves. Is that right? <laughs> this is just blows my mind. It makes me think they can detect almost anything we have if we find the right scent, right? Right. It's okay. definitely opened up the door to the science world. Wow. Um, and now that we've been successful in having proven that, we're looking at doing the flu this year. We're going to train them on flu A and B. Wow. Um, and have them detect that. And then we'll begin talks the beginning of the year on what other things the science world might look sure. to to have our dogs detect for them. Is it possible to give me a picture of how this happens, how it starts? I I just have a hard time even wrapping my head around where do you begin getting a dog to smell COVID-19? Well, we were lucky enough to have a collaboration with the California Department of Public Health. They were the ones that approached me. Okay. And I said, if we can figure out a way to capture scent, I can figure out a way to teach a dog to alert on it. Okay. So we kind of went down that rabbit hole and um, worked together. They explained um, one of the things they taught us was that when the body has a disease, it emits certain compounds, volatile organic compounds, VOCs. Okay. And each VOC is unique to each disease. So if we could figure out what the VOCs were for the COVID, then we could teach the dogs on that. I see. So what we did is we began collecting socks from COVID positive people that were willing to wear socks for a half an hour and then give them to us in a glass jar. Yeah. And we taught the dogs on that. Okay. And the dogs were able to differentiate between that and anything else we could put on a scent wheel. So they learned that when they found that, something good would happen, which in the Labrador world is usually food related. Sure, yeah. Um, So they love the work because they're very excited (laughs) about getting their treats. Yeah. Um, And we taught them to actually sniff humans and not samples. So we could line people up and the dog would sniff along the ankles. The dog would give us an indication if it came to a positive person. Yeah. We would flag that person and we'd keep going. And then they would give that person a follow-up test just to verify the results we were getting. 
And and what would you say the success rate there was? Do you, do you oh, we idea? were very good. I don't know the but, sensitivity. But very high. Yeah. yeah, very high. Over 85%. Wow. Probably well into the 90s. See, this is where I'm kind of a knucklehead. Because I thought you'd have to say, well, we uh, isolated these chemical compounds <laughs> and we sprayed a mist of them in the air. And you're like, no, we had them wear socks. <laughs> it's not that complicated. It doesn't have to be that complicated. Right. Well, I mean, if you think about it, the, the five major places that you get sent are your head, your pits, your groin, and your feet. Yeah, okay. Out of those options, I went with feet. There you go. <laughs> Just saying, yeah, okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> Didn't want to be working with dirty underwear. No. You know? <laughs> of course. Helps you and the dog, let's be honest. Yeah. It's at dog level. So, right? Yeah. Exactly. They love that job. They'd happily do that. Right. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Okay. So mm-hmm. you just isolated it that way and right. then ended up with this high success. And are these dogs working in the field now? They still are. Yeah? Um, we started out with schools because during the pandemic, that was the big fear was the kids in schools. Mm-hmm. So we were able to get that program going and we were, I think, over 95% effective there, um, which was great. Um, and then as time went on, the schools got very tired of testing. Okay. And with us, when we come in with the dogs, we want everybody tested so we can verify that the results we are saying we are getting are really there. Of course, yeah. So um, the schools were getting resistant to all that testing. They didn't want to do it anymore. Okay. So we have now switched. We are in the skilled nursing facilities and long-term care facilities okay. where they're still fighting outbreaks. Yep. My dad's um, place, uh, it seemed like every other month there mm-hmm. was another outbreak. Yeah. yeah, so our dogs can go in there and they can clear 50 people in less than an hour. Wow. Um, and they're actually catching cases earlier than the Binex test. That is so amazing. So, yeah, so if our dog alerts and the rapid test is negative, they turn around and do a PCR on it so that we can verify our results. Okay. And you said you're working on flu next. Right. Uh, outside of your organization, are you aware of, of are there other... Uh, there are a few other organizations within the world that are doing things like this okay. and do medical detection very specifically. Okay. Um, not a whole lot here in the U.S. I think there's a lot to do with uh, legalities. Okay. Because um, even when we were sniffing the kids on out on the playground, yeah, privacy is a big thing. When uh, our dog sits, everybody says, Johnny's got COVID. And right. we'd have to back that up and say, no, the dog just alerted. It doesn't necessarily mean Johnny has COVID. And then we ended up doing a whole drape for privacy so that the kids couldn't see when the dog would alert. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Really? So what is it? Uh, HEPA? HIPAA? HIPAA. Like you've got to deal with a lot of that too, right? Yeah. yeah. It just, yeah. okay. Well, and, and then we saw people's dreams dashed. Like a teacher would get in the lineup and the dog would hit on it. And I had one teacher turn around just in tears. She was supposed to leave, leave on a cruise the next day. Right. And oh. she realized it wasn't happening. Oh, no. And I'm just like, I'm really sorry, but the dogs are right. I know. Oh, you're, I'm so happy that the dog did this, but not for you. I'm not yeah. happy for you, yeah. but uh, yeah. I didn't really think about that. That's interesting, mm-hmm. too. Okay. Um, wow. And so the California Department of Public Health is who you're working with. That's a big right. deal. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've been a great partner. Okay. Um, uh, the CDC Foundation was one of the first partners we had. They came up with the first money to get the program going, and CDPH has really been a collaborative partner all along. Okay. Helping us with the science end, because I can do the dog end. But the science end, we needed some help with, and sure. they've been there all along, okay. uh, figuring out the VOCs and all that kind of stuff for us. So you're really, I mean, you would kind of consider yourselves, you, you are the trainers. Just give us the tools, and we will get you the dog to do it. Yep. Yeah. If you can get me good samples, I can teach a dog to find them. Amazing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So maybe, Susie, you can help us learn a little bit 
what fostering looks like? Or, or, or is, is fostering and being a raiser the same thing? Or are those two different things? No, they're actually different. Okay. Um, so I'm a puppy raiser. So I have um, Sheldon from a very young age until, like we mentioned, about a year and a half, 24-7. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once he is ready to start doing the scent training, then he would enter the foster stage. Okay. And the reason it shifts is because then he needs to start going into the EAC um, facility Monday through Thursday, kind of like a work schedule to do his training. So he would need to be dropped off and then picked up at the end of the day. Okay. Um, And not everybody is able to do that. So um, Carol and her team have volunteers who specifically foster and keep the dogs with them so that they never have to be kenneled. Okay. And then they're willing to drive them in in the mornings, pick them up in the afternoons. And then, of course, over the weekends, they're with them. And so when you say he's with you 24-7, does that mean like for this whole period of time, you don't get to just go out to the movies on your own? Sheldon's got to go with you. You don't get to take breaks like that? Well, yes and no. Um, You know, I signed up for this because I wanted to take him everywhere that I go. It's really, that's just sort of my passion is getting him out um, and getting him socialized, but also just creating awareness around service dogs, specifically diabetic alert dogs and EAC. Yeah. Um, But in certain situations where it just is really tricky to have him with me, he can be kenneled for up to four hours. Okay. Or if I were to need longer term, um, a a longer term setup for him, that's where puppy sitters come in to play. So we also have folks within the group who are puppy sitters and can take a dog, whether it's just for like a one day thing, if we're going out of town for the weekend or a week. Um, That way they're very familiar with all the same commands and sort of the same um, protocol for the dogs so that if we need to step away and can't be with them for a longer period of time, we know they're in really good hands and it won't derail their uh, training and, and socialization. Oh, puppy sitting sounds way more my speed. That's, <laughs> I, I feel like I can handle that. That's sure, we'll get you started there and then yeah. we'll suck you yeah. in. Exactly. I, know, that's, I can I see said, that that's how it goes. I said the same thing, Justin, when I first met Victoria. I was like, oh, I'll be a puppy sitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then, my husband can tell you that did not last long. <laughs> well, the cool thing for me would be I would love to be able to bring a dog in here to hang out with me at work all day, but I can't unless it's a service dog. We're still a restaurant, which, of course, we'll talk about in a little bit, too. Right. I'm curious about this, and that is um, the bond that the that you and the puppy have, and if that's an issue later, because clearly I, that's just how dogs are, right? You're going to have this bond. Is it a problem for the dog when you have to send the dog to the next phase of its life? Um, well, not that I'm aware of, and the, I think there's a good reason for that. Okay. Um, The EAC team has really built it into the structure of puppy raising that um, it's good for the the puppy to go and be with different puppy sitters Ah, so that when the time comes for them to go be with um, their partner, their human partner, it won't be a shock. It won't be the first time that that's happened. So we actually purposely try to have um, each of the puppies go to a different puppy sitter every couple months if that's not happening organically because of a trip or something like that. Okay, that makes sense. So you want that, that's just part of the socialization you're saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, just exposure so that they get used to somebody else giving them the the same commands I am, but, you know, he will still respect that and do what they're saying. Right. um, Just the same. But I will say I'm I'm partial and I think that when he sees me and we get reunited that the tail wagging is (laughs) Just a little bit extra than with other people. Totally. I will totally jump in and say that um, having raised many puppies, 
they remember you their whole life. Mm. You cannot see a dog for five years while it's out working. And if you happen to cross paths, that dog is going to recognize you every single time. They never forget their puppy raisers. That's really incredible to me. Again, back to sort of some things that you read where just like, ah, oh, dogs don't remember. They don't have this. They don't have that. And I just think that's impossible, right? So yeah. uh, that's very, that's very impressive. So, okay, can we talk a little bit about etiquette? around yes. service animals and i'm not we're going to start simple um so when i went and greeted you out in my bar um uh, sheldon's laying on the floor and of course and he's just the cutest puppy and i just want to jump right down there and say hi to him i didn't um i asked if i could pet him and immediately you said well he has his vest on so he's working Correct. So let's start there, right? Let's with just kind of the basics when we see service animals. And I know a lot of people know these things, but a lot of people don't. So let's do the basics anyway. What are the basics? So the basics are similar to what you described. Um, when Sheldon or any of the other working dogs or puppies in training are wearing their vest, that to them is an indication that they're in work mode. So um, we as the puppy raisers, that's our job to make sure that folks know that when you know the vest is on they're not allowed to be petted they need to be learning that when the vest is on they're paying attention they're alerting if if i need to give him a command that he's gonna you know follow it right away he won't be distracted by being petted or you know somebody baby talking to him or whatever right. might be going on even okay. eye contact really even eye contact can take the dog away from doing his job so that is okay. This is why I'm asking these questions. That is such a great piece of information. Uh, dogs and me make a lot of eye contact. I don't know what it is. Dogs like me, and I like them a lot. And it always if I if I lock eyes with a dog almost anywhere, that dog's coming to hang out with me. It mm-hmm. just kind of happens. Right. That's a really good. I, but I never thought of, of it that way. I just thought, well, how am I not going to look at this dog? Yeah. That's really interesting. They take mm-hmm. it as a welcoming, right. you know, in- invitation to come on over and They read so much into out. it like mm-hmm. that. Ah, okay. And then you're also saying it's not just me that has to learn that the vest is on, stay away. It's the dog knows if the vest is on, I'm working. Right. Okay. Yep. And so you have methods of rewarding and letting them just reinforcing all the time. And and then obviously times when the vest is off. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So um the most often time that the vest comes off that gives them a signal when we're out of the house is when it's time to do their business or go potty. Okay. Um, We do that with the vest off so that they know Ah. this is the time that you can relieve yourself, not just willy-nilly when you're walking down the sidewalk and then we have a social etiquette issue. Right. I didn't think about that either. There's so many little details to think about. Um, Yeah, your dog needs a little personal space, and you got to take that vest off. (laughs) Uh, What about, uh, can you take him to the dog park and things like that? No, dog parks are a big no for for service dogs. Okay. Yeah. There's just a lot of bad behavior at dog parks, right? A lot of bad behavior and the opportunity for a lot of disease because you have dogs running around. Um, and the hierarchy within the park isn't usually good. Usually you have all the humans visiting. Yeah. And you have a group of dogs running the park, and you usually have a leader of that pack. And right. there can be bullying. There can be all sorts of things. And our dogs are out and on the go all the time. They don't really need a dog park. So plenty of exercise. But yeah. they do. They they meet their litter mates, and they have play dates within the service okay. dog industry. Yeah. So playtime is still a thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Vests come off. Let them play. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously 
probably pretty supervised. To be, oh, yes. Yeah, because yeah. you're still making sure everyone's behaving. And mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And when Sheldon's at home, the vest is off, and he's, you know, for the most part, a regular dog. Really? We have a pet dog. They roughhouse and play and goof around, and he gets plenty of downtime Amazing. when we're back at home. And um, Okay. Yeah. Oh, so that's good to know. And not that I thought that they were always, like, in work mode, but I just didn't know how much kind of, how much chill they get. You know. They get a lot of chill. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they do have a good time. Yeah. Okay. He's chilling at my feet right now <laughs> as we're talking. <laughs> yeah. Ex- excellent. He's wondering where his beer is. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, all my dogs that I've owned do love beer. That's a thing. <laughs> it's kind of a thing. Um, okay. What, anything else on the etiquette front besides vest is on? Let's let's stay away. Don't make eye contact. Well, one thing that I've come across um, a lot lately is other people letting their dogs come up to Sheldon and uh. thinking that that's okay. And I, it, it just is tricky for me to have to manage, you know, what other, whatever other situation is going on, plus trying to be polite and asking them to, you know. So usually I just take him and we vacate that that space okay. um, and yeah. just sort of take ourselves out of the equation. It's the easiest but way to do it, I it suppose. Would, yeah, it would be super helpful if people just would would um, take that vest as a sign of that dog is working and whether it's a dog or a human, we need to just kind of let it sure. be in work mode and give it some space. You know, and it's kind of making me thinking like, oh, you, you kind of want to put a sign on the vest that says don't do this. But so when COVID happened here at the restaurant and we were allowed to be open and then we weren't allowed to be open, there was always a new rule. And before I knew it, I had like, a yellow pages book like thickness uh, amount of signs around the bar don't do this don't do that and i discovered nobody read a single one of my yeah. signs <laughs> they didn't read the, even the simple one that said put on your mask like people just so it must be kind of difficult sometimes to to deal with this and there's no easy way to notify people there's really not, and it happens more than you think. A lot of times they'll bend over and be petting the dog while they look at the do not pet sign. <laughs> right, and just like and, that. And they don't think it, it it's for them. They think it's for somebody else, and it's like, no. And there's times that we have to physically intervene because yeah. we can't have the dog being petted, so we have to step in between them and say, no, right. you can't do that. Right. Oh, it's so difficult. Well, puppies are just so... You know, there's mm-hmm. some, <laughs> you guys know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can see that as being frustrating, even as they're looking at the signage, because mm-hmm. it happens here at the restaurant too. And uh, you know, for a while, I was down on people. I was like, "Why are people so stupid?" And, <laughs> but we're not. It, and I, I ended up realizing they're not. It just a lot of things going on in everyone's life, and we're inundated with information and signs. And you see a puppy, and you want to pet it. That's yep. just, yeah. it's just simple and it as that. It makes you feel good, so yeah. you want to do it. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's really important for these dogs that you avoid it. Yeah. Okay. But that doesn't mean you can't come up and talk to us about the, the dog. Um, I, it's You know, Sheldon is a great icebreaker. We're out and about a lot. And um, it's really fun to have people come up and ask about him. And mm-hmm. um, then I get to talk about EAC and, you know, my own work and things like that. And um, so definitely welcome just conversations versus yeah. putting your hand out and petting. Yeah. Right. But okay. talk to the person, look them in the eye, not the yes, dog. Exactly. Right. That's a lot harder for me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and probably for most people. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> or look at the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, anything else etiquette-wise before we start talking more about accessibility and, and service dogs in general? No? Not that I can think of. Okay. So... Let me preface the kind of the next uh, um, uh, segment here with some of my experiences here at, at the Hop Grenade. So, um, in my experience, the, uh, the state of California does a 
a, a fairly good job at uh, protecting and and making sure that the rest of us um, have accessible spaces for people uh, with either disabilities or, or, or whatnot. Um, what's not as <laughs> uh, clear as day is what those rules are for people who own restaurants and, and things like me and who's allowed to bring a dog in and what dog is allowed in. And ultimately, we're, we really err on the side of caution here, which I think is the right thing to do, about not questioning too much about what animal is, is coming in the room. Um, we're also fully aware that there are dog owners completely abusing the system to bring their favorite animal into the tap room. And um, oftentimes not even with a vest. Uh, and we found ourselves in predicaments where um, there's not a whole lot we can do. So I did do a bunch of research myself because we had dogs coming in literally jump, you know, paws up onto the bar, barking. And I just, I started to think to myself, this can't be, there's got to be some sort of rules against this. And I found out that there was. I actually found out, and I hope that you're going to clarify anything I, I, I paraphrase wrong here. The dog does have to be under control. Yes. Absolutely. And not disruptive. Yes. And there, there really are a, a fairly extensive set of guidelines for what a, a service dog is supposed to do. Exactly. Yes. You are correct. And this is one of our biggest challenges. Um, early on, 20 years ago, when I was doing service dogs, we taught everybody about the two questions you're allowed to ask. Is that dog working for you? And what task or service does that dog perform? Mm -hmm. The two basic questions. Whenever I hear those questions, I get really excited because that means somebody's educated. They know what they're talking about. And I'll say thank you for taking the time to know that. But what we're seeing now is those fake service dogs are interfering with our ability to get our dogs into where they need to go. Yeah. And people are afraid to push the envelope. I mean, all you have to do, even if it's a legitimate service dog, if it's barking, if, if it's becoming a nuisance in any way, you have the right as a business owner to ask them to leave, and we want you to. Okay. If we're a true service dog user and our dog is doing something inappropriate, we're going to walk out embarrassed, but we're going to get out of there with our dog immediately. Yeah, you're not going to have to be asked. No, we're yeah. not going to be asked to leave, or we'll say, I'm so sorry, I'll clean it up, I'm out of here you know, yeah. um, the ones that usually stand and argue with you that I have every right to be here and my dog has every right to be here. Those are usually the fake ones. Right. That's a good um, point. And then there's the big difference between an emotional support animal and what a service dog is. Yeah. Yeah. ESAs, emotional support animals, do not have access rights. They cannot come into your building. Okay. They don't have the access rights. So right from the get go, if the dog isn't doing a task to minimize the disability, they have no access rights. Sure. And that's one of the biggest things that we're educating people on right now. Because there is a point, there are people that need those dogs. Yeah. But they don't have the access rights to come into restaurants and stores. And they're the ones that are barking and lunging at our dogs, causing our dogs to have a problem. Sure. And if we bring it up to management, we'd say, we'd like you to remove that dog. They said, no, he said he was a service dog. We can't do anything. Yeah. And that's not true. Legally, you can. Well, and so if you don't mind really diving into this, that's what I'd love to talk to you about so that other bar owners and, and restaurant owners can, right. can hear this conversation. Mm-hmm. So I did do that research, and I did learn about the two questions we are allowed to ask. I ultimately, because restaurant owners are afraid of, of lawsuits. Right. Let's, let's be honest, right? Mm-hmm. So I ultimately instructed my staff not to ask questions okay 
But I did instruct them about the disruptiveness and that if a dog is is barking or not being behaved or not under the control of their guardian, we are let we are and should ask them to leave. Yep. That's only happened once. And I was the one who asked the dog to leave. And it was clearly not a service animal, and it was just barking, and every other dog that came by, it was a, it was a thing. Mm-hmm. That's the only time it's happened here in the 10 years we've been open at the Hop Grenade that I did that once. But I ultimately didn't want my staff to be on the front lines of that what can become gray area, mm-hmm. or at least to what we perceive as gray area. Right. You'd probably tell me it's not gray area at all. <laughs> no, I would say that it's not gray area yeah. at all. Um, what I've been suggesting to people when they're dealing with this, because they don't want to get into the gray area, and if you stop and you try to reach out to the police for support or something like that, yeah, it's not by the time they respond, it, yeah. whatever behavior is done, I suggest people pull out their cell phone, take a video of the bad behavior Mm -hmm. not of the person of the dog acting bad yeah then if you have to go any further with it you have the proof this dog was misbehaving in my establishment right so good point if the person even tried to bring the lawsuit all you'd have to do is show the video and say nope and that's done right there yeah it's not yeah and you can't you cannot be sued for asking a dog that's disruptive to leave sure that's part of the the doj um, rules is you can't okay um just like um if you were to ask them to leave legitimately you could be sued but if the dog is not behaving yeah. it's perfectly all right to ask them to leave and we'd like to see more places doing it do that yeah if i knew that you were doing that here mm-hmm. i would come to your business with my service dog because yeah. i knew it would be a safe place right 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 um i mean we get we train and target all the time and their corporate won't do anything about it. I've had a pit bull on a rope lunging after one of my dogs Mm -hmm. that I had to physically get in between because I wasn't sure the rope was going to hold. Sure. Yeah. Um, And they wouldn't even ask him to leave the store. Oh gosh. Because they're afraid of, they're afraid of being sued. Yeah. But if the dog is acting badly and you have proof of it, then that's an easy one. That should be easy. Okay. So then just to clarify on the other front where we shouldn't be uh, harassed, let's go back to the two questions and make sure everybody understands. So you are allowed to ask, is that a service animal? And of course, it's a simple yes or no question. And then you're allowed to ask, what service does it provide? Is that right? Is that a service animal and is it working for you? So Ah, in other words, do you have a disability that that dog is helping to mitigate? Ah. You can't ask what the disability is. You can't ask anything about it. But you have to be the one with the disability to have the service dog. Or be a trainer? There is. In California, they do allow trainers for the purposes of training. So if you were to come up to me and say, is that service dog working for you? I would say, no, I am a trainer. Okay. And as a trainer, we have an ID. We can show you the ID. And again, our dog should still be under control. Yeah. It shouldn't be misbehaving. But am I allowed to ask you for that ID? Or am I only allowed to ask the... You, you can ask the trainer for the ID. You cannot yeah. ask the disabled person for anything. For any reason. Yeah. It's just... It's, mm-hmm. and, and so that's where, of course, I sort of said to my staff, I don't even know if we should ask these questions because... Presumably, we hope that anybody who answers, yes, I have a disability, this is the service to dog, that they're not lying to me. But if they are, I just have to listen to it anyway. Mm-hmm. Right? 
and that's what makes it hard particularly with diabetic alert dogs yeah because the disability is invisible right you don't, that person doesn't look disabled to you mm-hmm. it's not like when they came in in a wheelchair and the dog was pulling the wheelchair so yeah it can be an invisible disability and there's more and more of them these days sure so you have to but again it really comes down to how the dog is behaving i don't have a problem with a really well-behaved dog that's laying on the ground, even if it's not a true service dog. And and that's what I was going to say. So I've already admitted I've only asked one dog to leave, and that's because that dog was, was misbehaving. Most often, I do think we have a lot of non-service dogs that are very well-behaved. Mm-hmm. That hang out in my in my bar and some and some service dogs, by the way. So that's good to know because we just leave that alone too. What are you going to do? The dog's well behaved, and they're just going to tell me it's a service dog anyway. Right. So, and the only other thing I would add is goes back to what Susie was saying earlier about letting their dog interact. As long as they're keeping their dog a proper distance away from me, mm-hmm. and it's behaving, I'm I'm good with live and let live yeah right right well and i think all of this goes back to the earlier question about well can you just train a dog and it doesn't matter how they've been raised or socialized Um, that's a big part of why we as puppy raisers work so hard to socialize them get them used to different situations and make sure they have good manners so that we don't we're not part of the problem right they're out there in the community um, being good ambassadors for the role of a service dog. Sure, that makes sense. And and luckily you're doing... So I actually uh, used to foster uh, pit bulls for a little while, a big, big advocate of them being a wonderful breed in, in the wrong mm-hmm. hands of people. But I had the same... Though My dogs had to be perfect in public because one, you know lunging exactly. dog on a rope like you mm-hmm. mentioned well there's that pit bull again mm-hmm. told yeah. you they're bad and the same i guess with you have with the service animals too yeah. so um interesting we also of course had to go through i had to go through the list about what animals are allowed to be service animals too <laughs> oh boy. which was which was fascinating in the state of california right well <laughs> the, the the federal law shortened it down to dogs and miniature horses and miniature horses right mm-hmm. which uh, i told my staff that i was like no guys this isn't a joke miniature horse <laughs> if if somebody comes here with a miniature horse they're fine yeah <laughs> which i thought it's as fascinating long as, it's well behaved. as long as it's well behaved right <laughs> exactly i found that really fascinating too All right. Well, let's do this. We're going to take another uh, very quick break. And when we come back, I'd like to learn uh, more about how I could make my space or really everybody's space a little more accessible for folks. So hang in there. You're listening to the session and we'll be right back. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Their website features real-time inventory, which means if you can put it in your cart, they can guarantee it'll ship the same day by 4 p.m. on weekdays. Want easy and simple electric brewing? Check out the new Series 2 Mash and Boil, featuring an elevated grain basket so you don't have to calculate sparge water. Williams also features the full Kegland line, everything from Brewzilla to Maltzilla and a huge selection of duo-tight fittings. Looking for a kegerator? Look no further than the Kegland Series X and Plus kegerators, which feature four and eight keg capacity in a compact footprint. And free shipping to the lower 48. Interested in distilling? Look up their proven Williams American bourbon and brandy kits, as well as complete distilling equipment packages and conversion kits for popular systems like the Mash and Boil, Anvil, and the Grainfather. Check them out today. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse their vast selection. 
Welcome back to the session. You're listening to me interviewing Early Alert Canines. You can go to earlyalertcanines.org. We're talking with Carol Edwards. She's the executive director there. And Susie Scher, who's going to talk to us um, about her company as well, which is Share Spaces. Yes. Such a clever play on words, oh, Susie. I tell my husband that's why I married him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so that we can talk about uh, more accessibility and, and things around the bar, so uh, or, or your bar or restaurant. Um, so I, I'm just I'm a pretty honest person, so I'll tell you how I stumbled into the what what we have done here at the bar, and then I hope you can help us learn what more to do. So the first thing, to be quite honest, is the state of California tells you what to do when you build your space. So we did that, and that changes all the time, of course. In fact, if I built this bar again, there'd be several things that we'd be mandated to change that weren't mandated in 2014 when we opened, right? So there's some tricky things. like So the first thing I did was I did what I was told to do. And um, years later, uh, my dad ended up in a wheelchair, in a power wheelchair, a uh, big guy uh, who had difficulty breathing, so he had quite a large wheelchair, and I always thought, ah, oh, no problem. He loved coming to the hop grenade. And the first time he came here with his wheelchair, uh, he like rammed through everything that was <laughs> every chair he, he, in the way. And I, and I realized right away that what I thought I had done pretty well at was really not that great. You know, and uh, so we, we kind of went to work rearranging our floor plan a little bit to help that. But I'm being honest in saying, it took me seeing my own dad do it before I kind of went, oh, we, we, we're maybe not up to snuff here. Yeah. Is that something that maybe you experience uh, uh, that's common? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So as an accessibility consultant, I, I actually hear stories like that a lot, or I hear that as a reason not to do any changes to okay. our space. Well, okay. I've never seen anybody come in here who's a wheelchair user or right. has an obvious disability. Um, you know, my response to that is, why wait? <laughs> sure. Wouldn't you want to make sure that your space is welcoming so that everyone feels like they would want to come in here and spend time and spend their money here? But also there are a lot of non-obvious disabilities that people have. Right. Um, you know, one in four people in America have some type of disability, including non-obvious ones like diabetes. Mm-hmm. That is something that you can't just spot when you are talking to someone. Absolutely. Um and so, I mean, it's a, I love that you had done what the state told you um, and then also made those changes after your dad came in. Um, and, yeah, as a business owner in the state of California, do you have to look at the ADA laws, right. Americans with Disabilities Act um, laws, and also the California Building Code laws? And the, the bottom line is you have to do whichever one of those is more strict. Oh, I see. Okay. So, And they do change a lot. There are revisions um, for various reasons, so it is important to stay up on those. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is that those regulations are actually a pretty low bar for accessibility mm. and they they actually leave out a lot of things that um, provide for functionality in a space so um, you know the fact that maybe your tables and chairs and the way you had your layout set up did follow those codes um, but then you saw when your father came in that you know the wheelchair was bumping into things and he couldn't maneuver and things like that so yeah yeah um, you know, that's where I come in and do assessments and, and consultation with folks and say, you know, let's let's go a little further. I mean, first, we want to make sure you at least meet the minimum standards. But then, sure. you know, let's go further so that we really create a space where people feel welcome and included and it's not stressful or um, off-putting to be in this space. And a place where they kind of like Carol said before about if I know that you're a business where um, – 
you're respecting the service dog um, etiquette. Yeah. I'm going to go out of my way to go to that bar. Okay. Same thing is true for accessibility. When people with disabilities find a place that is extra accessible or easily accessible, they're going to go there and be very loyal. Yeah. Um, there's been research done to, to show that people are very loyal when they find that great customer service, that easily accessible space they can get in, they can order, they can relax, use the bathroom, do you know whatever they went there to do. And then they're going to tell their friends who might have similar um, needs. Sure. So it's it's really a, an important and valuable perspective to have yeah. as a business owner. That and that really that makes sense. And like I said, I've experienced it going other places with my dad too. Um, there's a certain uh, baseball team locally. Uh, I don't want to call them out because I also really like the team. <laughs> but bringing my dad to those games was a mess. Mm-hmm. A place to drop him off, almost non-existent. A place to pick him up afterward was actually non-existent. And I thought, how is this possible in the state of California? Mm -hmm. I was told by the state how many different things I had to do that didn't seem like they got done at other places, too. So we did start going and finding other things that were just easier, right? You just kind of do that. It's just You just Mm -hmm. make your life easier. Definitely. And there are definitely businesses who just choose not to follow the ADA or the California Building Codes, which is even more disheartening. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, just giving that some attention and and looking at your space and the way that you welcome folks through that lens can really um, make it a much more welcoming place. Sure. So... There's some things I think that people don't even think about. Um, I noticed in my notes, uh, we have some bullet points that we wanted to make sure we were talking about. And one of them was to make sure that we had a, a handheld menu, mm-hmm. a, a paper mm-hmm. menu for people. Um, and, and this is so important now. Everything's on a QR code, my place included. So mm-hmm. when we opened, we were, a bit, um, we were a bit ahead of the curve with not wanting paper menus. Mm-hmm. But everybody back in 2014 who came in here got an iPad. Um, so it wasn't just a big screen on the wall or or a posted menu. You still got a personal device. Mm-hmm. Um, well, with the advent of QR codes, um, we got rid of all the iPads. Um, and now you, everyone, you, you just have to use your phone. And I'll be honest, for a little while, we didn't have paper menus. I was like, oh, just use the phone. And we discovered pretty quickly, uh, it was actually more people that just didn't want to use the phone. <laughs> But we still had a few people who were like, I can't, I can't do that. I need you to give me a paper menu. And now we have that. Mm-hmm. So it's small things like that, too. Is there any other th- some, you know, things like that that you can think of that we're not thinking about? Yeah. I mean, the menu is a great example. Um, just making sure that the signage in your establishment is, is really, you know, um, clear that mm-hmm. um, when you're designing the way the font and the background of your sign is that there's good contrast, that the, the oh, yeah. font, you know, style is easy to read, not too scripty or cursive or, you know, um, Funky, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, Actually, I can add on to that if you want uh, in the digital age here. I have to fix it, actually. It got brought to my attention recently. So our main menu, our main beer menu is like a 75-inch TV in the middle of the bar. So pretty much everyone can see it. But it's also 10 years old, and the contrast Mm -hmm. has now changed. It's like this weird purple hue, which I see it every day, so I stopped paying attention. Right. friend of mine came in last weekend and um, does not have a disability, but he was like, 
man, I can't read your menu. Mm-hmm. You got to fix that TV. And I didn't think of it that way. I said, like, come on, it's a huge TV. Right. But I took a good look, and the contrast sucks. (laughs) (laughs) It's fading. So I'm glad that you're bringing this up, too. It's not just the font on your menu, but even those of you who are doing the high-tech menus, that's okay, but that contrast matters, too. Yeah, and the font size, too. Yeah, okay. Um, You know, obviously on a screen, if it's a handheld device or their phone, they can zoom in, but Mm -hmm. um, thinking about that as well. Um, And the the bottom line for accessibility is, you know, by making some small changes that may be aimed at people with disabilities, it really does help everyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can give you so many examples, things like curb cuts, you know, on sidewalks where you go to the corner and, you know, dips down. And, um, you know, that was originally designed for people who are wheelchair users, but it comes in handy for so many people. Heck yeah. Uh, Whether you're on crutches, you've got, you're pushing a stroller, you got a a wagon full of gear or, you know, whoever it may be. Yeah. Um, So the same is true for things that you might be doing in your restaurant or your, your tap room um, where you make some changes maybe through that lens of disability and other customers and clients of yours are going to really notice and appreciate it you may not even hear about it right but they're going to think to themselves wow this menu that was you know so easy to find what i wanted boom it's all about efficiency right sure people want to find what they want be able to order it and then focus their energy on the enjoyment of the situation not the steps that it took to get in and out absolutely order that's a good point and so much of it really is some common sense stuff too and speaking with you is reinforcing that for me um and then i I love that you're bringing up the external benefits so back in 2014 uh when we were given the guidelines um we ended up with these huge bathrooms uh because uh, huge compared to the rest of our footprint We're, we're fairly long and narrow space here um, so they come tell us about these bathrooms and I'm going, wow, that is just so much square footage. <laughs> it ended up having this super positive uh, benefit of more urinals in the bathroom mm-hmm. for the men's room, more uh, at restrooms in the ladies' room. We're a beer bar. This has worked out great. <laughs> yeah. We, in 10 years, I don't know that I've ever seen a line at my bathroom. You can just wow, go right in. that's so a lot. <laughs> it started out with, spa- with ADA space, and mm-hmm. it ended up being, hey, you also, when you go to the hop grenade and you have to go, you can go. Yeah. <laughs> so it was this ancillary benefit that I, that I now love. I was so, I was a little upset about it in the begin with. I'm like, oh, I could fit two more tables in. Uh, it's worked out great. Yeah. So I that love that you met. Yeah, there can be all these other benefits. Um, we we have a low area of our bar uh, to one side, which which rarely gets used. But when it does, it's fantastic. And we love it. And there's this like community environment that hovers around the corner of our bar all the time. It's our regular. Our regulars love that corner. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't sit at the low part, but they sit right next to it. So whoever gets to use the low part, it's always a party. Right. Like we just have got built-in buddies to chat with. It's always so we've had these ancillary benefits too. So I like yeah. that you're that you're bringing that up. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a lot of what I do is when I'm consulting with folks is is flip that sort of assumption that making these changes is going to take away. Yeah. It's going to take away, you know, the the table opportunities or it's going to cost me something or it's going to, yeah. you know, be this negative. It's like, no, let's really shift that and see how it's going to bring in more people, how it's going to make them more loyal, how it's going to make everything easier for all of your customers. And so that's really a big part of um, what I love about working with my clients. Sure. Okay. 
All right. Can we talk about the potential fears that, that business owners have, too? So we talked about how uh, business owners are afraid to be sued for maybe asking mm-hmm. the animals to leave. Yep. Well, us business owners also always hear about folks who come in just to find things wrong and just to then uh, bring up a lawsuit for me. Um, can we talk about that? And Absolutely. just and, and I don't even know what my direct question is other than I try to be proactive about it because it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. but I'd be lying if I said it wasn't also because it's the legal thing to do and sure. I don't want to get sued. Absolutely. Right? So That's do you have any really advice for those who f- sort of fear that kind of targeting? Yeah. I mean, sadly, there are people who are just, um, it's sort of like the new version of ambulance chasing, yeah, you know, going yeah. around and, and suing businesses. Um, and as a side note, I will mention for your listeners that the newest of the new versions is to sue people for their websites. I've heard that recently, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, we could do a whole nother episode on website accessibility, but it is definitely important that yeah. people are aware of that. And um, there's a lot of great if you just Google website accessibility tools, there's, you know, free or low cost ways that you can do an accessibility check of your website and make some small changes. Okay. Um, having a accessibility statement on your website is a great protection too because it shows that you acknowledge that things change and you may not, you know, have caught every single change, but here's my contact information. Please get in touch with me okay. so that I can make those changes and that can help protect folks from those types of lawsuits as well. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, but in terms of people coming in into your physical, your built space, um, I think just trying to stay up on, you know, any regulation changes, um, you know, as much as possible. I know you're juggling a lot of things as a business owner. Or um, call a consultant. Or call a consultant like myself. Like yeah, you. that's exactly what I'm here for is to, you know, do a walkthrough um, and look at your space, give you feedback. And don't, you know, don't assume that I'm going to come back and say, oh, my gosh, you got to knock down the whole thing and start from scratch. A lot of times it's things that are no cost or very low cost. You know, hey, let's just look at the way your furniture is laid out and maybe make a different through way for people Um, talking to your staff about let's make sure we're not moving garbage cans in front of the space that someone who's a wheelchair user or has a different mobility aid needs to have access to get up to the bar or get to the bathroom or maneuver in the bathroom. Right. Um, those types of things. That doesn't cost any money. That's just an awareness yeah. and a perspective shift. Um, and then, you know, some low cost things or, or maybe you were going to revamp your menu anyway. And, and having, you know, looking at it through that accessibility perspective is a good opportunity to just make some cool changes to sure. the way you share what you are offering. Yes. OK, great advice. And I, and I also would like to add that uh, just because your space is uh, accessible and you feel that you've made all the room, um, Ensuring that furniture didn't get moved back, that that a, that a, a patron didn't leave a chair out where it, where it wasn't supposed to be. And the reason I bring that up is I noticed with my dad, who was a very prideful individual and was only in this wheelchair at the end of his life and was sort of struggling with what that meant for his life. He hated having to ask mm-hmm. for stuff to be moved. And it wasn't because he was mad at the stuff being there. He just was a little bit self-conscious about it. Sure. And wherever we went that he didn't have to make any extra effort that I didn't have to make, like I just walk in and, and he wanted to do that too, he felt so much more comfortable. And I could I could sense his shift in mood if we had to go in and be like, hey, could we please clear out this row? We've got a guy coming through. He yeah. just, you know, it was so, it, he didn't like it at all. And I could really relate to that because 
I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. I got to just walk right through, right? So I just want to bring that up, that it's not just like the, the sort of permanent changes that you make, but make sure that even the temporary ones, like the garbage can didn't get slid out into the thing. Right. Because it can be, yeah, just you don't want to have to do that. You just want to go on about your day. Right. And I think that's an easy thing to share with your staff, that mm. you know when they're going through their busing tables, they're wiping them down for the next customers to come in, that you know just make sure the chairs are pushed back where they are meant to be. You know, if people move tables together because they had a group, let's just get them back with the right amount of space in between yeah. um, those types of things. And it's it's all just part of that front of the house training that you can be doing with your staff. Sure. All right. Where can people reach you, Susie, if they want consultancy? Do you have a website? I sure do. It's yeah. www.sharespaces.com. And share is spelled S-C-H-E-R. Pronounced like the singer, but yeah. spelled... One letter different. <laughs> S-C-H-E-R spaces dot com. Right. Okay. And uh, and you'll come out and do a walkthrough and just kind of give some guidance like that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and and you're not I, mean or anything. You're so, <laughs> you've been so nice. Oh, I reserve that for our, my members of my family. <laughs> yeah, there <laughs> no, you go. just kidding. Um, yeah. And I also do trainings around disability awareness and disability etiquette. Because again, when you want to create a welcoming space, um, sometimes people are unsure. You know, is it okay to acknowledge if someone is using a wheelchair? And, you know, yeah. can I offer help or maybe they have a service dog and, you know, is it OK to ask anything? And I can help train staff and um, make them feel more comfortable about how to welcome in customers of all types. Those are great questions, too. OK. Yeah. Just not, not knowing how. Yeah. What are we allowed to ask? And, and am I being too intrusive? So, OK. Uh, sharespaces.com. S-C-H-E-R spaces.com. All right. Before we wrap up, I want to point out. That Sheldon has not made a peep. <laughs> He's over there. He's actually gotten away from me. But he, I haven't heard a noise. No. Not, not a thing out of this dog. Victoria did when she sent notes to me. I think she was like, uh, "Yeah, the dog's really well known for sleeping through meetings." I think you know. I like to and tell snoring. Yeah, I was going to say I like to tell people if the more the louder he snores, the better your topic is. Okay. <laughs> Excellent, yeah. It's a compliment. Oh, and now he's over with you. Oh, yeah, he's, uh, he's wandering now. Uh, Luckily, we're in a room with a closed door. He can't yes. escape. Yeah, yeah, we'll take care of him. And uh, we'll get some pictures of young Sheldon up on on the the show post for this, too, so that you guys can see him. At home. All right, you two. Well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having us and the opportunity. It's yeah, it's it was been fun. it's been super educational for me. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, and like I said, kind of near and dear to my heart with my dad's. And mm-hmm. so I, I'm thankful for what you're doing. I think it's really cool. Um, and I hope maybe we can put together a fundraiser for you here too. We'd love um, to. Yeah. Uh, let me get through these uh, slow winter months, <laughs> and then we'll maybe figure something out. But I'd love to help out. Uh, but yeah, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. All right, folks, we'll be back, I think, next week. We've got Russian River Brewing Company on the show. Vinny Chalurzo is going to be back in the studio, and we're going to be talking back to nerding out about beer. We're going to be talking about hop creep with uh, one of the best hoppy brewers in America. So tune in to us next week for that. Um, If you want to know how you can help out, go to earlyalertcanines.org. There's a chance for you to donate there if you don't have any time to volunteer, but you can also volunteer. Um, You can also foster. You can be a puppy sitter. You can be a puppy raiser. There's so many ways to do this, even right down to being a community ambassador uh, for Early Alert Canines. And I hope you'll go over there and learn more about it. And if you got a little time or just the inclination to help out, you should. Nice people doing nice things, which we need we need more of in the world, let's face it. All right, everybody, take care of yourselves and your beer. Beer.
The Session is a production of The Brewing Network and brought to you by More Beer. Check them out at morebeer.com. Find more content and live video of this show on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brewingnetwork. For sponsorship opportunities and information, please reach out to advertising at thebrewingnetwork.com. To reach our hosts, contact feedback at thebrewingnetwork.com.